honored to be here with you today um, and really just want to build into you as much as we can today. I want you to know a little bit about us. Scott and I uh, do serve on staff together. Scott is adult discipleship, and so I serve as women's discipleship. So that means my husband is also my boss, which adds a whole other level of challenge to the Smith House relationship. Mm -hmm. In December, on the 19th, we will celebrate 30 years of marriage. Yeah, yeah. I know. We're as shocked as anybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right, other than my dad. I think my dad yeah. was like, oh, they're, they're never going to make it, right? 30, 30 years. We're so we're, we're excited to be moving towards that day. We have three children. Our oldest, Hannah, is 27 years old. She works at Clemson University. Our son, Reese, is um, rolling back into a home from his career after college, and he's um, transitioning into a teacher and a coach following that heart passion that he has. And then our daughter, Claire, is 22 years old. She is married to Kyle, our sweet son-in-law. They live in Destin, Florida. They are on staff at Destiny Worship Center as college and young adult pastor there. Mm -hmm. And they are expecting, get ready for this, our first grandchild. Yeah. Yeah. Coming in February. It's a grandson. Yeah. We, I know. We are so excited. And, um, I was in the hallways of our church a while back, and our, one of our um, former pa- staff members, a, our staff counselor, Dr. Jerry Gill, was walking through the hallway toward me, and Dr. Gill's in his 80s. He comes toward me, says, congratulations, you're going to be grandparents. I'm like, yeah, we're so excited. He said, so are you ready for healthy grandparenting? And I'm like, ah, oh, I don't know. You know, I'm leaning into him because Dr. Gill is so wise and he's known for his wisdom and his wit. And I'm just kind of leaning into him a little bit. I'm like, I, you know, I'm going to have to learn from you and Ms. Gail. I just, you know, I, healthy grandparenting. I really hadn't really thought what that is. And he said, well, here, here's how you do it. You just remove the word no from your vocabulary. <laughs> I said, check. I can do that. Mm-hmm. Done. I'm mm-hmm. ready. We are, we are excited about that next generation coming into the Smith family. Um, we... Uh, have been uh, paying attention to your services. Let me just say, I have been paying attention to your services because in preparation for this today, since you all have been in the book of Ruth, I thought I'll get prepared and I'll just, I binge watched all of your sermons on uh, on the book of Ruth on Wednesday. And so by Wednesday night, I had Ray Green in my head all night and I thought, okay, I got, Lord help me sleep. I got to go to sleep. Just go over there, Ray, and I want to get some rest. We've been talking, you've been talking and been saturated in the book of Ruth, which is such an interesting book. And let me just say something to you women, to you ladies. God loves you mm-hmm. as women. Do you know in the whole collection of scripture, two women get marquee billing in the scriptures, Ruth and Esther, mm-hmm. an outsider and an insider. He covers the gamut. He says, women, you are represented in my family I'm making a way for you, not only just to be in the door, but I want to give you a place of honor. Mm. I, that is the heartbeat for me in women's ministry. And this book of Ruth is, is um, just a story of God's grace and full redemption. Now, I've watched enough of your services to know this little speech, so I'm going to give it to you because I'm, I want to do it in race style. Now, if you will open your Bibles, but if you came here and you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. If you'll take one, Graceland would love for you to have that as a gift on behalf of our ministry. We just want you to have Ray, a Bible. She's, she's not mocking you, Ray. That's not, that's not mocking you. Now listen, uh, you know, uh, as um, Scott and I are aware, 
The Word of God is um, um, not, even though it's readily available on every corner, not everybody has one, or you have it on your phone. And that's great. We love, we still use a phone on our phones, but we'd love to hear those pages rustle. Mm. So pull out your Bibles and let's open to the book of Ruth. It's sandwiched between Judges and 1 Samuel. You'll find it there. And we're going to talk a little bit about this book of Ruth as we've read it. And we sort of read through it uh, repetitively. Scott and I really have sort of come to pull out this major theme in the book of Ruth. And that is the theme of kindness. And that's really what we want to talk to you about today is this theme of kindness. Um, it is a, it, this extraordinary kind of kindness. Not exactly, let's see if I can give you an example. You know, how many of you like have been to Chick-fil-A? Right. How many of you have been to Chick-fil-A more than once? Right. Why is that? Because they've been voted number one in customer service in the fast food chain industry, when you go in there, I mean, they're just kind to you. And they just tell you whether it's truth or not, it's been my pleasure to serve you, right? Mm-hmm. It's just a, it's the, that environment where they, they bring their food to you. You know, they're, they're going to, if you go to some Chick-fil-A's and they sit they, in your car rider line, they'll already take half of the paper off of your straw, you know, so that you only have to pull it. You don't have to break it open or bend your straw to get it out. They're, they practice kindness there. And if you're there on a good day in the drive-thru and somebody has been inspired to do a random act of kindness, you can get in one of those ripple effects where everybody pays for the one behind them. Mm-hmm. It is just an atmosphere of kindness. It's not necessarily extraordinary kindness. That's what we're going to talk about here in the book of Ruth. This is the examples that we see. Not just Chick-fil-A kindness, where we can all kind of practice Chick-fil-A kindness, but this is risky kindness. This is a kindness that says, this might not go well for me, mm-hmm. but I want to demonstrate this kind of kindness, and we get to see that in Ruth as she tied her fate to her mother-in-law. I mean, wrap your brain around that. She tied the, her, the fate of her future onto her mother-in-law, and as a result of that, kindness was returned to her in many ways, but eventually leading into the messianic line of Christ. That so was the impact of her kindness. Um, The book of Ruth is loaded with kindness, lots of examples of kindness, and these kindnesses that have the power to transform lives. This kind of kindness transformed the lives of a few people, of Naomi and of Ruth and of Boaz, but eventually this kindness would radically change our life. You and me today are beneficiaries of this moment. So let's dial back to this time in history to the story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz and and see if we can't pull some things and take forward from our time that might potentially transform the future of our own generational Mm -hmm. line. So many examples of kindness from Ruth and the practice of kindness. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Mm -hmm. Of course, when the girls leave with Naomi and they, they're heading back home to, their, to Naomi's homeland, they want to stay with her because I can imagine, and Naomi's name means pleasant, and I can imagine she, that she was. I think she is a woman that I would have liked. Um, but her life circumstances changed her heart a little bit. Um, but they came to stay with her, you know, that Orpah left. And Ruth really establishes the first biggest risky kindness where she says, listen, don't, don't urge me to leave you now. I, I'm, I want to be not only with you, I want your God and I want your people. 
I, I'm going to leave behind my old, my old life, and I want to come with you. I want to stay with you. Boaz declares this as a really big kindness, and we're going to talk about why that is in a little while. But this huge act of kindness on her part. And then she moves on. Once she settles in Bethlehem with Naomi, she initiates the provision process. She says, look, let me go out and glean in the fields. Let me be the one to go out and provide. It was a kindness on her part to be able to say, I'm not going to be a burden. Let me go out and do this menial labor so that we can be provided for. Of course, Naomi blesses her to do it. And when she finds herself, which I love the scripture, it says, as it turned out, she found herself. How many of you can say, when I look back, as it turned out, I found myself here where God providentially put me and my life was forever changed, right? As it turned out, I found myself on the campus of Georgia Southern College back in 1980 long time ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found myself with, uh, in the company of a girl named Pam Dasher. And Pam um, invited me to a church, Fletcher Memorial Baptist Church, which is about the size of these two pews right here, maybe yeah. even smaller. And um, uh, as it turned out, I found myself sitting in those pews under a pastor named Steve Wilson. Now, my experience with pastors, I had grown up in church, but the pastor never, never really came past this point never really engaged in anything that came on the other side of this. But Steve was the first pastor, really, who engaged himself in the lives of people, and particularly in college students. And as a result of that, my spiritual life began to grow. And I met a woman named Janine Deal. And Janine invited me into a summer Bible study. And she recognized something in me, and she said, Hey, do you know, why don't we spend some more time together? and just start talking about some of the things that you're learning. I didn't realize that she was inviting me into a discipling relationship, but she was. And she invited me into that. I found myself in that, and my life was forever changed because I began to learn how to take the scriptures that I had been around all my life and actually put them down in my everyday walking around life. Mm -hmm. My life was forever changed because of the kindness of those people who invited me into their lives. Kindness is the thread that runs all the way through the book of Ruth, that holds that story together. And if you pull that string, that story begins to unravel. Yeah, so as we're looking at kindness this morning, I want, I want you to think with me. Don't alluded to this idea that kindness, as, as we see at Chick-fil-A, it was my pleasure. Kindness, at, a lot of times, is something that comes easy for us. It's, it's easy to be kind to someone who is being kind to us. But what I want to, we're drilling down this morning on this kindness that is the thread that runs through Ruth. It's this kindness that really has a supernatural component to us. Uh, Galatians 5.23 refers to this kindness as a fruit of of the Spirit. It flows from hearts that are redeemed by the Lord. I love the way that Mark Twain refers to this kind of kindness that we're alluding to. He calls it, he says this, kindness is the language which the deaf can hear and the blind can see. Kindness is the language which the deaf can hear and the blind can see. It's the kindness that exudes from a person whose heart has been redeemed by the Lord. Here's, a, here's another idea of, of way to thinking about kindness. Kindness isn't doing something for someone else because they can't. Kindness is doing something for someone else because you can't. 
For instance, we got up this morning um, in our hotel room, and it's, when we're in the hotel room, it's, it's, my, um, it's my pleasure. I enjoy doing it, is getting my wife a cup of coffee. So I got up, I went downstairs about 6 this morning, and there was no coffee ready. I came back upstairs, and in, we had our little uh, coffee maker, and I made her a cup of coffee. It wasn't that Dawn couldn't make the coffee for herself. It was that I could make the coffee for Dawn. Does that make sense? Not well. Not well. It was, but it was not me. The, You're talking about how I made the coffee? or the yeah. Okay. It was the thought that counted. It to was me. a thought. It was, I, but I was I was working with an inferior product this you morning. Were. Yes, yes, you were. It was not it Starbucks. Was, it was not Starbucks. We're, we're kind of coffee snobs. Dawn and I are. We like our K cups. Do y'all use the Keurigs around here? Anybody? I got a yes Man, over here. no Keurigs up we here. We would be we're friends. Just one, okay, We'd be yeah. friends. We're coffee right snobs. We like our little K cup. It costs about fifty cents, and we. This is how we like our coffee. This has nothing to do with this morning. We like our coffee. If, if it tastes like you're licking an ashtray, that's good coffee to us. It has to be just really kind of dirty tasting. Dirty tasting. But, but, but the act of kindness this it was. morning. You got points yeah. for that. Yes, the act of kindness this morning. Transformed my attitude. Huh? It transformed my attitude. It transformed your attitude. It was terrible coffee, but it was the thought that counted. It was. Paul looks at it this way, guys. He looks at it this way from Romans 12.10. He says it this way. Love one another with brotherly affection. Catch this line. I love this. This is from the ESV. Outdo one another in showing honor. Mm -hmm. New American Standard says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. But the ESV on this last phrase says, outdo one another in showing honor. In essence, the kindness of God that we want to demonstrate to one another... Check me on this. I, I want to be careful how I say this, but it's almost as if it has this competitive nature. You're not going to outserve me, girl. I'm going to outserve you. I'm going to outkind you. I'm going to outhonor you. That is kindness. I'm going to come under you and lift you up. It is my pleasure to be kind to you. And you see this, you see this thread running through the book of Ruth. It's almost like this person is being kind and they really have nothing to get from it. I believe, I believe kindness is best demonstrated when there's no ulterior motive. When it's, I'm going to do for you, not because you can't do it for yourself, but because out of the kindness of God, I'm going to do this for you. Now think with me, GBC. What if everyone in this room this week, not just because you could, but you began looking with the eyes of Jesus, how can I demonstrate this kindness to someone, not because they can't do it for themselves, but because I love Jesus and Jesus wants me to express love to them, I'm going to demonstrate that kind of kindness. Could you imagine the impact it would have on this area? Kindness is lovingly outdoing another in honor. Now, in relationships, Dawn and I like to talk about this idea of goodwill. If you've ever read Emerson Egrich's book, Love and Respect, he, he talks about this idea of goodwill. Goodwill is simply where kindness is practiced. There's goodwill. Goodwill simply means we look for the good in one another. We assume the best about one another. 
That's what goodwill is. Proverbs 11, 20 says, says it this way, he who seeks good finds goodwill. In other words, if I'm seeking kindness and goodness in dawn, I will most likely find kindness and goodness in dawn. Does that make sense? Let me just say to you, how many are married here today? Raise your hands. I'm going to tell you this. In love and marriage, here's a principle we've learned over our 30 years of marriage. In love and marriage, you will always find what you're looking for. If you want to find kindness and goodness, pleasantness, loveliness in your spouse, you will find it if you look for it. Mm -hmm. He who seeks good finds goodwill. You will find what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. Now, I'll tell you in just a few minutes the converse of that. In the first year of our relationship, I assumed the best about Dawn. It came easy. She was reciprocating kindness to me. Kindness is easy to give when it's being returned. The test of our kindness, as we see in the book of Ruth, is when we have nothing to gain from it, or the one who we're attempting to be kind to is actually showing their backside. Mm-hmm. That is the true test of is this kindness that I am seeking to demonstrate an empowerment, a grace offering of the gift of God. So there's this practice of kindness, but there became this problem of kindness for me and Dawn. The problem of kindness is that kindness is not a feeling, right? I mean, I can say, I feel kind, but does that make me kind? No. Kindness is an action. It has to be demonstrated. It has to have an action to it. If we read in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 3, verse 3 says this, Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So what the, the writer is saying to us, the instruction is, kindness and truth, don't let it leave you. Tie it to your neck. Well, I mean, what if you've got something tied to your neck? It's going to be ever-present, right? Tie it to your neck. Write it on the tablet of your heart. This is instruction for us because it's not going to come natural. And in fact, it's not something that we think about every day. It goes away. Scott and I do a lot of marriage counseling, and we do a lot of premarital counseling. And there's a big difference in the premarital couples and the couples who are in our office for marriage counseling. These couples who are premarital, I mean, they bop down the hall, and it's like hearts and flowers are just circling them the whole time. <laughs> Opening the door, you sit. No, you sit. Would you like some water? I would love some water. Would you mm. like a piece of gum? You know, the, they're all, they're very, it's just flowing out of them, mm. the acts of kindness. But the one thing that we can see in our married couples who are sitting in our office is that they have been depleted. Kindness is the first thing to go. Kindness in the home, in the marriage, mm -hmm. is the first thing to go. It goes away. It ebbs away quietly, right? It doesn't make a big racket about itself. It just ebbs away quietly. Mm. Let's look at Naomi for a minute. Naomi had been disconnected from her God and her people for, for a long time. And when you're disconnected from God and God's people, you will interpret your life circumstances very differently. And for her, she interpreted her life, her life circumstances as God's hand is against me. Mm -hmm. God is being unkind to me. He has been unkind to me. 
And I, 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 think, I think Naomi, I, I wish there were more people kind of like Naomi. I mean, she had this long trek back to Bethlehem, and she's kind of already saying to herself, this is kind of what I want my life to be like. This is what it's going to be. You know, her friends come out to see her, and she's like, you know, I'm just going to leave with my truth here, girls. Um, you're just going to have to call me bitter, and I'm just planning on going, settling down. I'm going to just turn on my hazard lights and wave everybody around, right? I'm just bitter. If you invite me to your girls' night out, I'm not going to be any fun. I'm going to suck all the life out of your Bible studies. <laughs> Don't invite me. I'm just, I'm just going to tell you right now, this is who I am. Call me Mara because I'm bitter. I, I wish for a moment that the Lord would just allow us to have these bubbles pop up over our head so maybe we could see the names we call ourselves this morning. Mm -hmm. Just call me failure. Just call me adulteress. Just call me thief. Just call me a terrible mom. Just call me a deadbeat dad. Here's the interesting thing is that Naomi's the only one who called herself that. Apparently, the Lord didn't recognize the name change because you never hear it again. And here's what I want you to know. You have a very different name when, you're, when you come into a relationship with Christ Jesus. Scott and I are going to talk about this tonight. We want you to come back and spend some time with us this evening. But your name has been changed. Mm -hmm. You are no longer what you think is in that bubble. But God has given you a different name. And he was on a mission. Whereas Naomi thought, God has put his hand against me. The truth of the matter, God has had his hand on her the whole time. He provided her a daughter-in-law who would help her to have life again. To help her realize, no, your name is Naomi. It is Pleasant One. And I'm going to bring you back to full redemption. Yeah, so how it played out in our marriage. The problem that Dawn and I began to see with kindness in our marriage is this. We did not know it. What I know this is true for most every one of us, is we have this tape. It's what I like to call stinking thinking that runs through our head. It's the way that we see ourselves when we look in the mirror. It's not what others say about us necessarily. It's the, it's the lens by which we see ourselves. One of the tapes that I did not realize when Dawn and I married and I was 24 years old is I brought a stinking thinking tape of unaccepted into our marriage. And here's how it played out. In my family of origin, and let me just tell you this, what we know about most marriages, generally speaking, is most of the issues that present themselves in marriage as a marital issue have little to nothing to do with marriage. Neil Anderson says it this way, most marital conflicts are not marital issues. They're more often rooted in unresolved personal and spiritual conflicts from a person's past. Mm -hmm. So in marriage, I thought I was fighting with Dawn, but it was actually my mother that I was fighting with. Because my mom, perceptively, and let me just say this for most of us, perception often becomes reality in our relationships. The perception as a middle schooler and a high schooler growing up was that I could not please my mother. If my mom said, Scott, I want you to vacuum, I want you to wash the dishes, I would typically do it, but it felt perceptively that my mom, rather than affirming and praising what I did well, would find and critique what I didn't do that well. Does that make sense? And so over time, I see some heads nodding. You had the same mother. Um, maybe we're, maybe we're uh, stepbrothers and sisters or something like that. I don't know. But here's the reality. Over time, that said to me, 
I cannot please my mother. My mom is a phenomenal woman. Let me just say this. And from what I learned from this experience, this is a principle I've learned to apply in my ch adult children's lives. I will go to my children, did it with my son a week ago. I will say to my son, Reese, or as Ray called him in his first time of meeting Reese, he called him Jesse. And so uh, Reese has been called Jesse for about a decade now. I will say to my son, Reese, hey, son, and I will look him in the eye and I will say to him, Ray, son, is there anything I have done or said recently that has wounded you? Is there anything, Reese, that I have not said that you hoped I would say? Something I should have said that I didn't say? Something I should have done that you thought I would have done? Anything, son, that I have given, I have overlooked that has created this a wound, this unsettledness in you. Because what I've learned from my experience, and we teach this with couples, we'll teach you more tonight, is this. We want to learn to keep short accounts. Mm -hmm. Here's what happened for me and Dawn, though. The problem of kindness for the two of us. Because, Ray, honestly, when we got married, our pastor should have been standing here, Steve Wilson, and a travel agent should have been standing beside him. Because when Dawn and I walked down that aisle, we brought a ton of baggage with us. Mm -hmm. Right? And so we did not realize that. And most everyone in this room, you brought baggage into your relationships. Whether you're married or not, you've got baggage. And if you can just look yourself in the mirror or tonight just say, hey, my name is Scott and I've got baggage. That's one of the first freeing things to do. But we brought baggage into our relationship unknowing. Dawn having had an abortion as a 10th grader, I bringing wounds of passivity from my father, wounds from my mother, all of that stuff that we did not realize was having an effect. So we lost, as Dawn said, the elusive kindness. What came so natural, so freely, we stayed on the top of the music building at Georgia Southern because I couldn't breathe enough of Dawn's air. Two years into marriage, I felt like your breath stinks. I don't want any more of your air. Mm -hmm. I, would, I would hope you would hold, just hold your breath. It got so bad, and I'm not kidding. I know you'll probably laugh at this, but I'm being serious. And probably in a room this size, someone has prayed this exact same prayer. By about three years into marriage, I began to loathe my wife. I was leading, as Dawn said, in a small church like this. I was leading worship. And I started seeing, I can get, Ray, this is the, the platform I learned is so intoxicating. Yeah. Because I could get, by standing up here, leading people in worship with my mullet hair back of the 90s. It was actually permed in the back. So it was business in the front, party in the back. The I was leading worship. But I'm telling you guys, I would get from the people, the bride of Christ, the very things that I wanted from this bride. I got affirmation, I got approval, I got attention, I got affection, and it was intoxicating. I told our church when we came to Lakewood in 2000, you need to know this about me. I had an affair, but it was not an affair in the traditional sense. I had an affair with the people of God because I made the things of God and the people of God an idol to me. And I just wanted out. 
I'm like, God, you and I are good. This lady is a witch. And so if there's some way you could get rid of her, for us, we're believers married to one another, so divorce was not an option. We've not had any infidelity, so didn't have that out. Divorce was not an option, but death was. And I literally laid in our queen-size bed in Statesboro, Georgia, at night, fantasizing in my mind, Lord, if there's any way that you could take this woman out, you will do it. I will go to the funeral. I will dress in black. I will act like the good grieving husband, but inside I will be Martin Luther King Jr., free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. And that was me. And here's your laughing. I guarantee you, before we leave this weekend, one male and one female will come to me, more often than this, the male, and will say, Scott, you will not believe it, but I've never told anybody this. You're the first person I've ever told, but I've prayed the same thing for my wife. It's happening. It's not unreal. We had lost kindness for one another. Yeah, it had obviously completely ebbed away, Right. And don't feel sorry for me because I had my own prayer life going on during she that time. She was praying the same prayer. <laughs> and I didn't know this until about 10 years ago. I'm like, really? You were praying for God to kill me? Man. Yeah, bad like and Garth hard Brooks. and awful and make, yeah. it, make it painful. It's you know, funny on the ride up. Yeah, yeah, I didn't pray for it to be painful. I just was praying for don't it. Don't make it quick. <laughs> what you have to do, right? It, it had completely ebbed away because here's the thing. Kindness leaves a void behind. And the enemy's going to fill that void with unkindness. What we want you to understand is the power of leveraging kindness to heal what's broken in your relationship. Mm-hmm. Where you think, you know what, this, be, this relationship is beyond repair. Mm-hmm. If we believe that your relationship was beyond repair, Scott and I need to quit doing what we're doing. Yeah, we're charlatans. We, it would say, it would fly in the face of everything that the scriptures teach us about God. Mm -hmm. Because with man, it's not possible. With God, it's possible. And he can enable you to be kind, to bring that back, to begin weaving that back into your story, to begin to mend and repair what's broken in your relationship. Mm -hmm. But you're going to have to prioritize it. You're going to have to tie it around your neck. You're going to have to write it on the tablets of your heart. Mm -hmm. One act of unkindness begets another act of unkindness begins another act of... But the opposite is true. It's just like the Chick-fil-A line, in a way. Somebody pays for your meal, pay for their meal. And it goes, and it goes, and it goes, and it goes. Because an action will beget another action. And it will beget another action. And it will beget another action. And it might not fix everything that's broken in your marriage, but I can guarantee you this, it's going to make you a lot more willing to work on the things that are broken in your marriage. If we can embrace the loving kindness of our Father, who in our sin sent His one and only Son to die for us, that we could have everlasting life, If we can embrace that kind of action kindness, that risky kindness that God demonstrated on us, that we know we've been the beneficiary of, then we can respond to that in kindness to someone else. His kindness begets our kindness Mm -hmm. in the lives of the people that we love. 
So how do we practically prioritize kindness? In our last few moments, I just want to give you two, two quick points. The first one is simply this. Embrace the kindness of God. Yeah. I'm not saying intellectually assent to the kindness of God. I am talking where it becomes intimately acquainted with you. There's a word in John 8:32. Jesus said it this way, "You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free." In essence what Jesus is saying in that word know, it's the Greek word we say gnosko. And it's a Jewish idiom for intimacy between a husband and wife. It's that level of knowledge. When the angel came to to Mary and and gave her the declaration of what was to happen with her, that she was going to conceive a child, she said, how can it be? For I have not yet known a man. I want to challenge you to come to understand, to know intimately the kindness of God. Paul alludes to this kindness in Romans 2, 4. He says, or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness, the kindness of God, his forbearance and his patience with us, not knowing that it was the kindness of God that led us to repentance? Let me just say this to you. If you're in a marriage like what Dawn and I were, were what we were in in the early years, let me just say this. Don't return tit for tat. Don't return curse for curse. Romans, Paul says later in, in, in Romans 12, this idea of return a blessing instead. Yes. What if you flipped the script? Rather than returning a curse, you returned a blessing. Embrace the kindness of God. Extend God's kindness to others. Paul alludes to this whole idea in Ephesians 4.32. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. For those of you who are doing the sermon-based small groups, this is your memory verse for this week. Mm -hmm. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Here's what Paul is saying. Scott, how can you, being the jerk that you have been, the jerk that you can be, and the jerk that you probably will be, how can you not be kind and forgiving to Dawn, knowing what all God has forgiven you of, how could you not extend that same grace, kindness, and forgiveness to your wife? So let me simply ask this. Who in your life, who in your concentric circle are you being unkind to? And let me ask you the second question. Why? Is it because of an unmet expectation? You don't know, Scott, what they have done to me. You don't know, Scott, how they have hurt me. No, I don't. But I know we have a a Savior, Jesus Christ, who does. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. We do not have a high priest, Hebrews 4.15. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. Mm -hmm. Who do you need to extend kindness to? 